And so a good, you know, 300 people tried, I would say maybe like a hundred people got up on stage, but they were just surrounding him and they enveloped him. And he gave this like very touching, uh, performance to all these people who were just sitting at his feet. And it felt like listening to a private, uh, house party while a war is going on outside. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a fire truck driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? This is Blake Fletcher, the Half Hour Intern. In today's episode, I interview Dawson Lubwig, who is General Manager of Noise Pop Industries. So Noise Pop is an event and promotions company here in San Francisco that puts on concerts out of Swedish American Music Hall. So they're in charge of all of the concerts out of Swedish American Music Hall and the promotions and the booking of bands for that. And then as well, they're in charge of some much bigger events here in the city um, and big events for the entire Bay Area. So they put on Treasure Island Music Fest every year, which is an absolutely kick-ass music festival to go to if you have never been. They always get great bands. It's done on Treasure Island, which is the little baby island in between Oakland and San Francisco, and it just has the most amazing views of the city. It's 360 degrees surrounded by the bay, so it's a really unique, really awesome festival. They also... um, kind of separate from the music scene they put on the san francisco street food festival which they get a hundred over a hundred thousand people coming to every single year to check out different food trucks and different food options from over a hundred different owner operated food businesses in the city so it's another really cool thing that they do um dawson has a very wide-ranging interesting job being the general manager so he's in charge of promotions booking working with the bands working with the agents um operations like absolutely everything so we'll get to learn about all the different facets of throwing a big event and kind of have a better understanding of what's going on behind the scenes at these big festivals and other events we might be going to without further ado here is festival producer dawson thanks so much for being on the show man yeah thank you for having me so question one how many shows do you go to like how many nights a week are you at a concert of some kind um, this is going to be a little disappointing. I actually don't go out to too many shows anymore. No, I know you're getting old. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, also my stamina is not, uh, what it used to be, but I would say I still go out much more than the average person. I'd say I probably go to three shows a month. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's not too bad. Yeah. Um, do you now only go to shows for recreational reasons? Like just because you really want to see the band or are you going business purposes to make sure everything's going well? Mostly recreational, but of course, you know, you end up, um, this is going to sound a little douchey, but, uh, (laughs) schmoozing with, you know, friends and, uh, colleagues that are usually at the show. So it turns into business. Yeah. Uh, My wife actually refuses to go to shows with me anymore because I just turn into a politician. Just total douche mode. Yeah, exactly. Can't be around that. (laughs) Yeah. I won't be able to look at you later tonight if I go to the show with you right now. (laughs) Right. Um, So why don't you tell us about kind of the the breadth and scope of your job? And then we'll dive into some of the individual parts of it. But so like, what is everything that you do? Because you have such a wide variety of things that you do. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm sort of master of none, jack of all trades uh, in terms of I have 
all my responsibilities are to run the entire company of noise pop and noise pop puts on uh, large music festivals uh, including treasure island music festival uh, and uh, noise pop festival as well as the street food festival in san francisco so um, there's a lot going on and then we also have some subcategories in our business of like a creative agency like working with brands who uh, are looking to get their audience uh, or our audience in front of their eyes for private events or anything. So, um, yeah, there's a lot that goes into all of those, but, um, for all of the festivals, there's uh, a booking department, there's a marketing department, there's a sponsorship department, there's an operations department, there's a production department. And my job is to make sure that they're all working together and, uh, cohesively. When you mention all those different departments, you mean all those different departments within noise pop like they all work for you guys correct are some of those like contract workers or do all these people work for you year-round um mostly on the operations and production side is where contractors uh live in the music industry um marketing and sponsorship and talent buying are core internal staff okay um Talk to me really quickly about the the food truck festival that you guys put on. So that's interesting. Yeah. Is that it, that's mainly food trucks? Is like the main draw of this event? Um, yeah, it's sort of the red herring in our uh, operation. So Noise Pop is uh, very much in the food culture, but our bread and butter, the, the puns are too easy. Uh, <laughs> our uh, is music, but yeah. So we do a actually the largest event that we do is the San Francisco Street Food Festival. It's about eighty to ninety thousand people. Um, as opposed to Treasure Island, which is about thirty to 40,000 people. Yeah. So people really love food. Hell yeah, man. I, yeah. So was that like you and the founders of the company and stuff were just like, look, I like food. We got to throw an event <laughs> around food. Or how did that all happen? Um, we actually, uh, the festival pre-existed uh, before we came along. Uh, it was something that uh, a nonprofit company was doing here in San Francisco on mission street and it just grew much bigger than they could handle. And so we took it from them and there's, we still work with them very closely, but, uh, we took it and sort of elevated it to a much larger experience this year. Yeah. It's so much fun. Yeah. If when, when is that going to be this coming year? Uh, it's in August. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, if you, uh, if you're planning on visiting San Francisco sometime in the summer, it'd be honestly worth coming when the festival is. Cause if you like food, which who doesn't, you might as well come for that. Yeah. Um, so talk to us about the, the ta- was it called talent buying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is something I had so many questions around. Sure. And, and if we could go into how this differs from a festival versus a concert, like if there even is talent buying for a concert or if that's just ticket sales or whatever. But so let's say Treasure Island. That's a huge festival. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love it. Um, so you're... you're is it just like it sounds? You're having to write checks to these people or like give them an offer for how much money they're going to get if they come and play your festival? Yeah. So, um, and to be clear, I'm actually not the one uh, buying talent, which is the term. Um, but uh, I work with the talent buyers um, as the lineup gets close to being finalized. Uh, but basically, artists are represented by agents who are their entire job is to go out and get as much money for these bands to play as possible. Um, and I should say it's not only just getting money, but also what is the best play for this band in terms of its career. Yeah. Um, so there's uh, leveraging both money and promoter clout 
to get the best band possible. And also, you know, luck of the draw in terms of what bands are available and routing through. Um, that's all that, those are all the elements that go into determining what bands play a festival. So how, if you could give us a little bit of insight on how you guys like made the jump from an outsider's perspective. So it looks like the lineups from noise pop to treasure Island is, is a massive chasm. Like there, there, there's a huge difference in terms of the fame level of the sure. people that are playing. So, um, like if I wanted to like last year, outcast played at treasure Island, like if I wanted to call outcast or call their publisher or, or you know, whoever it is that the, uh, their agent, like I can't just call outcast agent. Like how, how do you, how did you guys like level up to be able to put on treasure Island? Um, a lot of it is just sort of starting small and, um, showing that you can handle, uh, the production and, uh, the demands of an artist and their agent knowing that you deliver each time you work with them and they then give you another opportunity for another, a bigger band. Then you just sort of, you know, lily pad from one band to the next until you, you get bigger and bigger. That's awesome. So like one agent might manage several smaller clients, but then they're also going to have one big client, Exactly. but they're not just going to give you their big client right off the bat. Yep. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, you mentioned like demands of a client and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, people always hear crazy stories about demands of different bands and stuff like that. Does that, um, does that impact you guys at all here? Is that more of uh, like a venue that I guess needs to take care of that? Or I guess when you guys are doing <coughs> festivals, it does impact you then if the, um, well, we actually uh, run a venue in San Francisco as well. It's called the Swedish American hall. Um, and, uh, so we actually have quite a bit of experience working with bands and their writers. Um, you know, I think the most famous is Van Halen and their green M and M's, uh, <laughs> uh, writer, which is actually, have you heard this story that it's not them being assholes who are being really demanding. It's actually them, uh, putting in green M and M's on their rider was a way for them to ensure that the venue had read through their rider, which includes like, you know, all the mics they need, all the amps that they need. And so they were actually, so when they show up and they see green M and M's, it's like, like, all right, we know that our mics are taken. Yeah, man, that's a really good idea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no bands are definitely, uh, I think probably the craziest one was, uh, Dan Deacon in his writer asked for underwear and socks and, you know, we obliged, uh, our artist hospitality actually really got a kick out of it. They even (laughs) have an ongoing relationship as a because we delivered that to them. That's so funny. I would imagine that you know it, it's almost uh, worse or more common now for people to have demands as the as the independent music scene grows, and it's more so much more difficult for people to. I wouldn't, I guess maybe it's not more difficult for people to make the jump, but you know, back in the seventies, there really was no independent music scene. You were either famous or you weren't, you Mm -hmm. know? And now there's people can tour for years and years and years and not really be making any money. And if you ask, if you were to, they were to ask a venue for uh, a can of beer, the venue is going to say, absolutely not. So now that they have this ability, they're like, I could really use some new underwear right now. So that, Oh yeah. (laughs) I feel like that makes sense that more people would be asking for stuff because it's like, finally, like I finally, right. You can get that. I mean, you just convert your shopping list into your writer, um, (laughs) which most bands do not do that. I will be that. Uh, I think that happens at a much uh, larger level than we're used to or comfortable with. Uh, but yeah, most bands are very modest, you know, it's either like, you know, a bottle of Jack Daniels and some hummus. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's a really good combo. Yeah. Um, so when you are, let, let's, let's talk about Swedish American Music Hall for a second, and then we'll go back to the festival. So um, for an actual concert venue like that, is it just ticket sales that you are promising an act a part of? Um, or same thing, you're just giving them a guarantee off the bat, and now hopefully enough tickets get sold for you to cover the guarantee. Um, most bands uh, that we work with are at a level to where we're giving them a guarantee plus a what's called a split point um, bonus, which is basically like giving them an incentive to promote the show themselves. So uh, they'll get a guaranteed uh, and then a, uh, you know, a per- percentage of the entire gross ticket sales after X amount has been sold. So the idea is for them to be motivated to post on their social networks and to really go above and beyond to sell the show. Um, there's some bands that, you know, there are maybe baby bands is the word that we use, uh, that we very rarely offer them what's called a door deal, which is a split between, uh, the promoter and the band in terms of ticket price or in terms of the gross ticket sales. If they're really small, will you give them any sort of guarantee or is it kind of like you're lucky to be playing here? Like, or, um, you know? it depends. Like, you know, oftentimes also venues make money off of the bar as well. So, um, you know, we try not to do door deals at all just because it's not, uh, it's better for the artist to have a guaranteed, a guarantee, um, but oftentimes we want to work with a band, but the risk is too big. So we go in with a door deal. Yeah. Um, if a, it, you mentioned like the Van Halen deal, if, if a band is wanting and demanding different, uh, equipment and stuff like that, is that on you guys or like, does the, uh, I, that's it's interesting like that the band wouldn't have to bring their own equipment, you know? Um, that's, uh, that's a negotiation between the agent and the promoter. So oftentimes, um, the agent will ask for what's called a backline, which is like all of the like incredibly heavy things that a band has to carry onto the stage, drums, amps, all that. Um, and the promoter, unless they have something in house, doesn't necessarily want to foot the bill for that. So um, all of those things come out of either the guarantee or the door deal. Which, okay. So yeah. you guys are protected either way because... Yeah, well, I mean, we pocket. negotiate it. Um, you know, if we let our guard down and just go to a promoter and say, hey, we want this band to play and say, if the promoter comes back and says, great, we need... $20,000, you need to cover backline. You need to have this incredible, like crazy ass writer in their dressing room. Uh, you know, they would of course ask for that. It's us to go back to them and say like, no, we'll do this. We won't do this. We will do this. And it's a constant negotiation. And that's just experience. And you guys knowing what most likely you guys are going to be making back from that show. Right. That's interesting. Do you guys have like software that you plug that stuff into, or that's all just a good old field test of what, what you think it's going to end <laughs> up like? The music industry is very elastic and it's uh, the way that it works financially. So a lot of it's um, gut instinct. A lot of it's talking to other promoters to see what a band is worth and hoping that everything, you know, bottoms out. That's interesting. In the black. We're going to have to create an app for that. We, we just we just thought of the next like uh, <laughs> at least $10,000 idea of right. some sort of software that people can plug that stuff into. Yeah. You mentioned a promoter for the show if, if you could go over with us i guess the different relationships so i i i kind of imagine you as the promoter so who are the different 
who are the different players in putting on a concert? Because a lot of times, like I'll see a concert poster and it'll be the name of the venue. Then there's like seven different logos on the bottom of it of all these companies that I don't know. And I'm always wondering like, how is their hand on the pot and what exactly is happening here? So you obviously have the agent you mentioned, um, you got you guys, who else is is taking care of this thing to make it So those are the main two players. If you were to distill it down to, um, the two people that the two entities that put on a show, it's the agent who represents the artist and then the promoter. Um, so when you see a show that has a million different flyer or a million different logos on it, a, those could be sponsors, um, or B, they could be other promoters who, you know, we promoters in, uh, in one market are very cooperative, but also very competitive. Um, so oftentimes a promoter, uh, let's say brings up an act when they're small, but they keep growing and growing and growing. Um, it oftentimes if another promoter wants to have that band play their venue and it's good for that band to play their venue, oftentimes the promoter will be attached to that show. Interesting. Um, as so you're saying like of, how many people does Swedish American music hall fit? Uh, three thirty. Okay. So that's, yeah, I've, I've, that's like one of the only venues around here I've never been to, which I feel very bad about as I'm sitting here. It's newly reopened. So you have a, you have a good excuse. (laughs) All right. So if let's say you have some, like huge band that you had a contact to Mm -hmm. that needs to play like Bill Graham or something like that. So you now reach out to the main promoter for Bill Graham and you say, Hey, we have this band and then you guys are going to kind of work together to get them into Bill Graham. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, and that's a very like, it's, it's not a black and white relationship. These are just relationships that have happened over the past, uh, that, you know, we've seen. Um, but yeah, precisely. So let's say it's, um, a band that was first starting off, played Swedish and, you know, played it, you know, two times within a year and each time the agent loved it and we kept growing ticket sales. And then all of a sudden they became this huge star and they wanted to play Fox theater. Uh, you know, we sort of helped cultivate that audience as well as we have cultivate that audience for that band, as well as we have, um, that audience in our pockets in terms of we have their ticket sales and we have their emails. So, uh, oftentimes we would then noise pop would then go with that band to the next venue. And will the, their agent just kind of naturally hit you up when they come in town anyways, because the relationship's already there. Yeah. So the agent is playing, different promoters off of each other and different promoters with each other. Um, so it's a very give and take relationship. That's gotta be talk about that. Like being in that kind of like, do you feel like people are playing games with you a lot? And like, you have to play this kind of weird fake game back. Yeah. It's an incredible, it's very fun, um, (laughs) to be, uh, to be a promoter or an agent because you're, it's, it's incredibly political. Um, but it also comes down to, uh, yeah, actually it's like one, almost like 99% political. Um, but also of course, you know, the ability to properly promote a show and market a show is an enormous part of it. So, um, there's a lot of talent in that as well, as well as your operations team needs to feel good. Like you need to be firing on all cylinders. The artist needs to be happy with you. You need to be able to sell tickets and you need to be able to play, the quote unquote game to be able to leverage relationships to get bigger shows in the future. So would you say if you're not into like playing games like that or being in politician mode or anything, this probably is not a good fit for you. 
Um, yeah, I, some people definitely just do it well, and they have you know a great historical venue at their fingertips that they don't need to play games. But yeah, if you know you're interested in this, you should probably be willing to. Uh, shake hands and kiss babies. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned bringing a smaller artist up um, and you know trying to help promote them. And then if they get bigger, this is great for everyone. Do you guys have a, a group of people here in the office that um, that's kind of their job is finding, that they just listen to independent music all the time and they're trying to find new bands to kind of woo over? Our talent buyer is tasked with that, but everybody in our office is huge music fans so um the litmus test for us is really like listening to music in the office mm-hmm. um it's largely sort of a testing ground for bands that we all like and, and you guys then reach out to the band or you then it's like who, who initiates this relationship or is it like 50 50 half the time a, a band you've never heard of their agent reaches out to you um like what percentage of the time are you guys courting versus being courted um Oftentimes it is bands reaching agents, reaching out to us saying like, Hey, we have this band who's routing through your area. Can we put a hold on this date? And again, this is only for venues for music festivals is completely different. Um, well not completely, but it's basically saying, uh, there's more at stake and there's more money at stake with, with festivals. Um, but with venues, it's a little more cut and dry. An agent asks a venue to hold certain dates, um, and if we like the band, then we will. If we don't, then we'll pass on it. But um, that's where a large majority of the uh, of it comes from. But there's also, you know, if we see that a band is releasing a record, we know, and we like that band, we know that that band's going to be touring. Sometimes preemptively, we'll go after the agent and say, like, "Hey, we saw Real Estate just announced an album. Are they coming through the market? If so, we'd love to have them." Awesome. Yeah. Um, all right, let's let's get back on the festival track. I would love to uh, like focus in on the time of the first Treasure Island Music Fest. H- how many years ago was that? Um, that was nine years ago, uh, before my time. Yeah, but okay. I can speak somewhat intelligently on it. Okay, cool, cool. So I guess the reason I'd like to talk about like the very first one mm-hmm. is I can't imagine having having not done Treasure Island before and having the balls to be like. Um, yeah, could we rent your entire island, please? And we just would like to uh, cut you a check for a phenomenal amount of money, and we're just going to have the confidence that we are going to recoup that cost afterwards. Um, first of all, who do you write the check to? That goes to... Is Treasure Island part of San Francisco, or is that its own place? Um, so it was a part of the city. So first it was a naval base, Um and I believe it was owned by the military. Right, it was. Yeah, and now this is, the city took it over. Um, it's funny that you're saying this because I was cleaning out my desk and my boss before me, her name's Stacy Horn, um, uh, she had a piece of paper that was basically the letter of recognition from the city for our request to host an event on the Great Lawn at Treasure Island. It was like literally the paper that started it all. Wow. Um, I took a picture of it sent it to her she's like you gotta frame that uh but it was surprisingly cheap it was not that expensive to just rent out a park um uh, it's funny you say rent out a park but it's like for people that haven't been to treasure island before it's like unlike any other park in the world yeah i mean mean, you have this beautiful view of downtown it's on the surrounded by the bay it's uh 
Yeah, it's pretty special. Yeah. I mean, most of the costs for a festival come down to infrastructure, stage, um, and artists. And then for us, transportation, because it's a beast to get there. So, um, yeah, we have to rent quite a few buses to take people in and out. So you're saying take the artists, take the, the day workers and stuff like that in and out for the venue? No, for also just because, uh, you know, we bring 15,000 people a day onto Treasure Island. Oh, right. So 15,000 cars in Treasure Island down that one narrow road is not going to work. So we opted into having a bus system come in and a free shuttle system come in and out of Bill Graham Civic Center to uh, alleviate the traffic on Treasure Island. So prior to the first Treasure Island, let's say, uh, are you? Are they just reaching out to, are you guys reaching out to tons of consultants to, to be like, what the hell do we even need to think about as con- like, such as the transportation thing and stuff like that? Or are you guys just trying to figure all that stuff out in house? Um, so I wasn't there before. Uh, so I can't say what the, you know, projected, what the process of projecting the budget was, but yeah, I imagine it was, you know, talking to colleagues in non-competitive markets to see you know, what the costs are of putting on a festival. Um, I mean, we're actually consulting with a festival right now that is looking to do that in a different part of the country. Um, just sharing what potential costs would be and potential revenue. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, so talk about all the concerns of treasure Island now, just going down on a yearly basis. So first of all, how, um, how long before any given treasure Island, do you guys start planning it? Uh, talent buyers are talking to agents a year in advance. Okay. Um, we, I would say nine months before we start planning the marketing and the announcement, that's a very big part of the, um, festival marketing plan and just the festival culture as well as just the lineup announcement. Um, that's so about- right now, you know, who's going to play the next treasure Island. I do not. The talent okay. buyers keep everybody, rightfully so, uh, in the dark. <laughs> yeah. Loose lips sink ships. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, uh, they have um, a pretty good sense of who they're going after uh, pretty early on. So I just have to give you, sorry, this is a little bit of a, a sidebar here, but I just want to give you guys like a huge kudos. I've been talking to everybody about this year's Treasure Island and something that I liked about it so much, which is I feel like so many festivals, it's it's like shopping at a supermarket or something. I feel, I feel like so many festivals, uh, now that it, like EDM, like dance music has become such a thing, um, and every festival kind of has their dance music portion, they will combine like 50% of a day is dance music and 50% of a day is like, other kinds of indie rock and stuff like that. And that's that's great for someone like me who likes both, but you also kind of get in the mood for something on a certain day. Like when I'm already listening to indie rock, I don't want like Skrillex to come up next, mm-hmm. you know, but when I'm listening to Skrillex and then like Father John Misty comes out, like that's really going to kill my Skrillex buzz, you right. know, like yeah. you kind of get like geared up in in whatever. Uh, like I remember a few years ago at um at uh uh how am I blanking on the name of it at outside lands? Uh-huh. Uh, like right after passion pit was Metallica. And it's like, <laughs> who is ever going to play those CDs back to back, you know, and you, you get in kind of like a certain flow. And this year at treasure Island, you guys basically had a full dance day and then a full like indie rock day, which right. I just thought was the greatest thing ever. And like such a nice thing to do to the fans and like oh, the people you. buying tickets that they can kind of choose what they want to go to and whatever else. Uh, yeah. Just awesome. Yeah. And it's funny too, like, um, 
being at the festival on Saturday has a very specific feeling because of the crowd. You know, it's a lot younger. It's a lot more vivacious. It's a lot more intoxicated, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Um, and then on Sunday, it's like a completely different festival. I mean, it's the same space, the same, uh, you know, the same Ferris wheel, the same vendors, but it just, you just feel like you're in a completely different world yeah because of who's attending um and yeah if you're like you then you know it's great because you get to like scratch both sides of your brain but um you know it also gives people the opportunity to pick one over the other yeah for sure you can roll out there with your baby born and your baby strapped on right. for sunday and you're yeah. all good or uh yeah you can be a young like high school girl with your butterfly wings on or whatever and show up on saturday and you're all set right how do you guys project how many people you guys are going to get at something like treasure island i mean now i guess you guys can look at a prior year projection but is that um i guess how accurate is that even like just because of how many people went last year does that give you a good idea of what's happening this year i mean it's a gamble um really it comes down to the strength of the lineup and the strength of the pre previous year's performance um but yeah, I mean, we know our capacity and we're shooting for the moon. We're aiming for a sellout every single year. Um, and yeah, we're able to, we have enough data right now to be able to look at the historical trends and know, okay, people are probably going to buy tickets, more tickets the, you know, few days after Memorial Day. So we put in a lot of like marketing efforts after that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, so how about on the artist side? How are you guys wooing all these? Uh, like, how are you getting some of these more big name artists? It, like, like you said, that's going to be such a draw for the people, mm -hmm. um, such a part of getting this thing sold out. So, how are you trying to ensure that you're getting the big names? I mean, a lot of it is uh, leveraging the reputation of the festival. So, like I was saying earlier, um, getting big artists is sort of a a stepping stone process of proving that the festival is worth it, proving that it has clout. Um, and then leveraging that clout against, you know, agents who want their bands to play there. Um, you know, a festival like Coachella really doesn't have any issues getting the top bands because it's an enormous festival that has, uh, a lot of positive impacts to any artist that plays it. Mm -hmm. So, um, a lot of it is just like getting to that point and that reputation, um, within the industry and without outside of it to uh to get the biggest acts yeah what do you guys do if somebody cancels on you um we work with the agent to get a replacement that actually happened with us twice this year with um robin who was replaced by fka twigs and then azalea banks who was replaced by big grams yeah that was so rad because yeah i'm an idiot so i don't know who azalea banks is but i was like so excited to see big grams and that was crazy because that was their first show ever right yeah i mean to be honest we lucked out with that that was an, it's just an enormous opportunity that was just sort of like planted right in front of our feet that was the same agent that just happened to have both it was yeah wow crazy man yeah what if a big artist approaches you and says it, it, like, does this, something like this even happen it, it, like three months before the festival or something? And like John Lennon is like, hey, man, I heard you guys have a pretty cool festival. I'd love to play it. Uh, can something like that theoretically happen? And what do you do? Do you just like bump someone that's already there? Do you just change the set times around to accommodate for this bigger person? Do you tell the big person? No, sorry, maybe next year. Sure. Um, well, with Treasure Island, the parameters are pretty set because we only have two stages and uh, 26 bands per day or so uh, I'm sorry, 13 bands per day. 
Um, so if John Lennon came back from the dead and said that he wanted to play. Sorry, I'm, <laughs> I'm in public. My bad. No, like no, no. Let's no. <laughs> take John Lennon as an example. Yeah, I'd yeah. be pretty motivated to make that work. Um, <laughs> I think I think we would probably, I don't know what we would do. Maybe we'd petition the city to go late and have him close out the the night. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can, you can make it work. It's just sort of problem solving and, um, yeah, I, we would not look to cancel on any artists. We'd look to just add. Yeah. Yeah. And then on the operations front, let's talk about that a little. So mm-hmm. transportation, food, yep. um, bathrooms, like all that kind of stuff to talk about coordinating that and how that works out for you guys. Um, yeah, uh, a lot of it Well, for the most, I think complicated thing in uh, the most underappreciated thing is layout and flow of traffic. Um, how a attendee comes in and is immediately greeted with, uh, you know, where things are. Um, you know, you don't necessarily want to have porta potties right next to your food vendors. You don't. <laughs> you know, uh, there are all these sort of puzzle pieces that you have to figure out, um, which is challenging and also fun. It's like building a small little city for a day. Um, so, so let me say something else too that mm-hmm. is so great about treasure island and like anyone i've ever gone to treasure island with always says this about that festival is how many porta potties you guys have you guys have so many porta potties and there's you know there's thirty thousand people on the island at any given time and yet there's like never a line to wait for a porta potty and that's so nice and i feel like you guys obviously have the option to not spend as much money on porta potties but clearly you guys are trying to give people a good experience. Yeah. I mean, it it all goes back to sort of like, you know, the end goal is to be a successful festival, which, you know, is largely tied to getting the best artists, but the best artists aren't going to get there. if Attendees have a bad experience. So it's all this sort of like cycle of, you know, like running any good business is uh, the customer's, the customer needs to feel as if this is everything was thought of. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the fact that you notice that is means a lot. Um, so yeah. Who does that? Is that everyone here in the office in in terms of like idea generation for customer experience? Like how are we going to make people feel good while they're at this festival? Um, I mean, it's, it depends. So, I mean like, you know, our vendor coordinators are trying to get the best possible vendors for, customers our operations team is thinking of the best possible layout and the most amount of appropriate amount of porta potties so everyone is really just trying to think customer forward thinking uh what would an attendee like yeah um do you get to hang out with all of the artists no <laughs> um i mean some uh, yeah so in our office we have some managers who work with bands and we get to hang out with those bands sometimes, but uh, it's not like there is a secret after party where promoters and artists get to like all hang out together uh, in a concentrated sort of post festival wrap up. Yeah. Um, It'd be amazing if it was, but you know, maybe we'll, so the very least you might be backstage and like high five someone on their way up, but you're not, you know, drinking a beer together and hanging out. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, if we have a personal relationship with them, then yes. But in terms of like a large collective debrief, powwow, hangout, that doesn't happen. Bummer, man. I know. I was hoping that you were friends with Andre 3000. I feel like he <laughs> seems like the coolest person in the history of the world. He does. I know. 
Yeah, he's he's turning into like the Tom Hanks of music. Like everyone wants to just hang out with Andre Three Thousand. <laughs> totally, man. That should be his new like slogan: yeah, the, the Tom <laughs> Hanks of music. Um, so, what are some of the cooler experiences that you've been afforded by? You know, this is your career path over the past six years. I was actually just talking about this story today. Um, we, um, we throw a very large event called Seen Unseen, which is part of Noise Pop's other uh, company called Do the Bay, um, where it's a giant free party at 1015 Folsom, which is this huge super club here in the city. And we bring together a bunch of top like DJs and bands, and it's a giant party. Uh, well, last year we decided to book Magical Clouds, which is this very quiet, uh, sort of pensive, beautiful songwriter. Um, and for one, for a couple of reasons, we had to book him in the main room while these large trap music artists were playing adjacent to him. And we had some concerns about like bleed over while Magical Clouds performed, but um, we yeah, didn't anticipate how loud it would be. And Magical Clouds, who's very emotional and very quiet, did this really touching performance where he first started and we looked, myself and a fellow promoter looked at each other and were like, oh my God, he's really nervous. This is He might just walk off stage because it's too loud. And, uh, and so he did, he very like tentatively did one song and tentatively did the second song and we were like, Oh, this is going to be bad. And we were about ready. He was about ready to walk off. And then finally, I think his keyboard player said, everyone in the stage, just everyone in the audience, just come up on the stage, make this feel like a living room. Whoa. And so a good, you know, 300 people tried, I would say maybe like a hundred people got up on stage, but they were just surrounding him and they enveloped him. And he gave this like very touching, uh, performance to all these people who are just sitting at his feet. And it felt like listening to a private uh, house party while a war is going on outside. It was really cool. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's so awesome, man. Uh, talk about a, an example that went the other way where, <laughs> where like it, it was not resurrected by the keyboard player saying something super awesome where you just had like one of those days or one of those nights where it's just like, God, I can't believe this just happened. Chaos. Um, sure. So, um, we had, we threw a very big party with the rapper Riff Raff who is, you know, yeah, nuts. basically the feature of, uh, what's that, uh, what's that movie? The spring break. Oh yes. Uh, spring breakers. Oh yeah. 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 James Franco. Yeah. Um, so this was before, uh, that. And anyway, he was, he was rapping and uh, one of our, he was actually our talent buyer, um, was working with a brand who had sponsored the event. And the brand was like, you know, we'd really love to get this drink up on stage. Is it possible? And it was a free show. And we were like, all right, well, we'll try. So um, the uh, our talent buyer, like, just very quietly snuck up on stage and put a drink up on the DJ table. Um, and the drink got knocked down and it ended up landing on Riff Raff's foot and Riff Raff then all of a sudden stopped the music, like literally mid song. He's like, stop it, stop it. What's that? So who the fuck just threw that at me? <laughs> and the whole audience is like, who was dancing and a second ago stops and you hear like, Ooh, of course. And our talent buyer realizes what happened, takes off his shirt because he didn't want to be recognized 
Um, and while he's doing that, Riff Raff basically puts a bounty on his head and says, like, I'll give anybody a thousand dollars if they can point to the person that uh, threw that can at me, which he didn't. No one threw a can. It just fell on his foot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So our talent buyer has a bounty on his head by Riff Raff to this day. <laughs> An unclaimed bounty. Yeah, right. Wow, crazy. I'm surprised nobody pointed him out then. That's smart of your, uh, smart of your buyer to try oh, to... Oh, yeah, he that. ducked into the crowd yeah, really quickly. Incognito real yeah. fast. Um, what are what are like the one or two questions that nobody ever asks you about your job that you think will be poignant questions? How many emails a day do I get? <laughs> that's a lot. Um, that's, that's the answer to that question is a lot. It's a lot. I would say it's like, it, depending on the time of year, it's like, you know, upwards of like 200 to 300. Oh, whoa. Yeah. But I mean, they're all like small questions, but it's a lot of emails. Yeah. The volume of emails is incredible. Is it all related to coordination of events basically? <clears throat> it is. Yeah. Um, how do you juggle all that mentally? That's gotta be like just crazy to even remember like what someone's talking about and what's going on. Oh yeah. Um, a lot of it's, I mean, it's anywhere from like guest lists to, you know, there's, there's a million different, uh, machines working underneath. Um, and sometimes questions pop up and I have to handle it. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Anything else? I would say how to appropriately ask for guestless spots <laughs> is probably the most obnoxious part of my job. Um, you know, don't do it the day of, uh, don't do it for sold out shows and always give an out in the email in terms of, Hey, can I get on the show? No worries. If not, um, the sort of implied entitlement of just, can I get on the show is grading. It's crazy how rude people are. Yeah, I know. At the, at, I think eventually we're going to have some sort of like emoticon that's just like punches you in the face. <laughs> yeah. Ask you for things. Yeah, definitely. So, well, I don't, I, that's so funny that people would even ask you for, to get on a guest list. It's like, well, how, I mean, how it's much are tickets really going to be? And a lot of wild. like industry people. Yeah. 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 But like, Buy a ticket, like support. Oh yeah, support, I got a guess. You know? Like if a friend of mine has a clothing company, like I'm gonna ask. I'm just gonna like buy their clothes, like to help them out. They have a clothing company for God's sake. Like right. they're hope they're trying to make money. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. We I had someone ask me, or I they asked a friend who was putting on like a small punk show for like five bucks, and they asked for a guest list request. I was like, really? Like just pony up five bucks, yeah. man. Or like just be punk rock and like sneak in the back door. Yeah, there you go. Right. Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, why don't we wind down with if you could give advice to anybody that wanted to get started doing something similar to this. So I I think the thing that kind of pops into my head is like a young kid that has several bands uh, or like friends that play in bands or something like that. Like, how do you just start schmoozing people and being the guy that um, you're working with venues and stuff like that? Um, Where would you start from if you were trying to start something like this right now? So an internship is probably the best way to do it in terms of like really getting your foot in the door. Um, beyond that, I think the industry really appreciates people who are curious, um, but know their boundaries, uh, in terms of, uh, not being too presumptuous. So yeah, I guess if I could distill advice down, it would be to be present at a lot of shows, ask questions, listen to people and, 
don't be an asshole. There's a lot of assholes. So uh, if you can be polite, then you're going to be great. How do you, what do you even mean by that? So how do people find someone like you at a show? Like people will go out of their way to try to find someone like you at a show? Well, not necessarily try to find me, but there's, you know, there's a lot of people that work at a club that are, you know, could point someone in the right direction, whether it's box office, whether it's, uh, you know, someone who's doing stage managing to the artists to, yeah, uh, you can ask them about opportunities at their company to intern and learn. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of it is, I mean, yeah. A, a podcast like this, somebody who is listening to this is probably very curious and would do well in a situation like the music industry, which is sometimes cloaked in secrecy, but you know, you find someone like me who's willing to just tell you anything. Yeah. You need to be willing to ask the yeah. question. Awesome. Dude, Dawson, thanks so much, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Had fun. Hey, everyone. It's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. Just wanted to give you all a quick reminder that if you have any ideas for the show, be that a person that you would like me to interview or just a topic that you would like me to cover on the show and you want me to track someone down, or if you have a question for an episode like today's or any other episode that you were kind of biting your tongue and wishing that I had asked, you can submit all that through my website on the Submit Your Ideas link. And I will either track down an old guest to ask those questions for you or find that new guest that you want to hear from. Thanks so much.